Pastor Pelletier, come, let's get our study going tonight. Sinful fear. Sinful fear. Well, we know about that in COVID, don't we? Fear and terror. Yeah, Pastor talked about those college guys that were here. We had a good time with them. They had a blast. Some of you had a part in that, taking them out to restaurants and doing things with them. Sunday night, after everything was over, they went out and, and rounded up 12 of those electric scooters. And I don't know how long they went out running around the city on scooters half the night, but they had a blast. And then we took them to the airport at 5 a.m. Monday morning, and then I went home went to bed till 3 p.m. I was so tired after keeping up with those guys for a week, but we had a good time, and I look forward to having a few of them back. All right, we are dealing with this idea of triumphing over sinful fear. We've been talking about this for a while. We had a time of introduction, and we went into the types of fear. Just in review, we haven't talked about this for a while. What are the three types of fear? Natural, sinful, and the fear of God, right, religious fear. And so, yeah, the natural fear, that's what happens because we, have, we just have sin in the world, and because of that, there are consequences. But sinful fear is where you run away from God, whereas religious fear is where you run to God. And you say, Lord, help me, instead of saying, I'm going to try to figure this out on my own. And uh, so we talked quite a bit about the, the, uh, the types of fear, and then we talked about the uses of fear and how good it was. It's good for a government to have, uh, for, the, for people to be a little afraid of the police, and uh, people afraid of going to jail. It's, a, it's good to be a little afraid of having to go to court because then it kind of keeps people in line. And it's good for parents to have a little bit, of, uh, kids to have a little bit of fear of their parents, not the wrong kind, but the little bit of fear that says, I'm going to do what they say because I don't want to have to go through the consequences of not doing that, right? And so there's some good uses of fear. Uh, and then there were some causes of sinful fear. We'll kind of review those really quickly. And then, and then we're, tonight we're going to be getting into those effects of sinful fear. And there are effects to the thing. Uh, we, we, we find that, uh, I know some people that they're so, they're so fearful of everything that they are just crippled in their, in their Christian life and they just can't seem to function. And uh, we want to go through some of that and, and, and why, how that happens and and, uh, and, uh, and how to avoid that from happening in, in your life. So uh, let's take a look at some of these things. Again, sinful fear, that's an unworthy distrust of God. I'm on page three in the notes if you want to kind of look at that. An untrustworthy uh, tr- distrust of God that runs from God rather than to him. You get into a difficult situation and you say, I'm gonna just going to try to figure this out for myself instead of going to the Lord and getting what you need. Uh, it has a wrong view of God. It tends to blame God for the consequence rather than looking to God for the solution. It's the result of ignorance of God, men, your circumstances, and all sorts of things. We don't understand that God is there to help us. We, don't, we get our ideas that everybody's out against us and that all the circumstances are all against us. We get all those wrong ideas that are just not true. It uh, deals with guilt because either we have not been forgiven, we haven't sought forgiveness, we haven't repented of our sins, or we have been forgiven and we just haven't accepted that forgiveness. And so we still carry this weight around that we don't need to carry, and, uh, and so we're still always in fear of getting caught for something that maybe has already been dealt with. 
Then there's unbelief, just refusing that God's going to take care of this. I just will not believe that God's going to, uh, going, to, going to take care of me. Confusion over God's purposes for the present circumstances. Sometimes we look at circumstances, we think it's all against us, and we just don't understand that God's doing something good in our life. Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so we get confused about that. And then we, uh, we live in immoderation, living for this life and not thinking about the fact that there's another life that's going to last a lot longer than this one does. And yes, we should live in this life and we should enjoy this life. God's given us all things freely to enjoy. But if all we do is live for this life and all the things that go bad on us, if we're a believer, we have heaven to look forward to. So we can always keep heaven on our minds and that helps us to get through some of the struggles that we have. And then there is uh, Satan. We, we look at Satan. Satan brings all these temptations and trials to us like he did in the book of Job. I've been reading through Job. And it's amazing. I'm reading through Job, and I like Job. And Job was a good and upright man. But when the trouble came, I keep reading in my Bible over and over again. How he says, God's doing this to me. God's doing this to me. God's doing this to me. And in my mind, I'm going, no, he's not, Job. You just don't know it. You, you didn't read the first two chapters of the book. Of course, Job didn't have the first cha- two chapters of the book. We know that Satan was out to try to get Job to turn away from God. Thankfully, Job, even in the middle of, midst of thinking that God was against him, he says, though God slays me, yet will I trust in him. That's how you get past this idea of God's against you. And uh, so Job, Job was victorious because he kept his eyes on the Lord. And we forget Satan thinks he's winning, but he's not. He's losing. He's going to end up in, uh, in the lake of fire. And God's got the upper hand. He always has had. And he can only do to us what God allows him to do for his purposes, God's purposes, to, uh, tr- to train and to test us and to, to see what we're made of. All right, so we have this sinful fear. And what does it do? It, it brings in some bad effects on our lives. You know, there's this idea of cause and effect. Something causes something, and then it, then it comes back at us. It, it, we, we bounce back off of what, what's come at us. And, and if we don't do this right, we can, we can bounce back the wrong way. And uh, when trouble comes, we, we react in the wrong way. And there are six of them there. We're not going to get through them all tonight, I promise. We'll get through, I think, maybe three of them if we get that far. But, um, but there's, there's a distraction. Uh, sometimes we get fearful and then we get distracted. And all we can think about is that fear. All we can think about is that problem. All we can think about is that monster that's in the closet, you know. And then so we can't sleep at night because we're worried about that monster in the closet or whatever it is that's bothering us. Um, we have that distraction, focusing on our concerns more than God's concerns. Then there's a deception where, where we, we, um, we, we are deceived because of our because of our fear, we think the only way to get out of this thing is to do something. We have to work this out in our own strength, and we have to sometimes do something that's wrong in order to be able to get out from underneath this fear. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Vulnerability is another thing. When we're fearful, we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to the, for the attacks of Satan. We are vulnerable to temptation. We're vulnerable to a lot of things. Uh, and we become an easy target when we live in fear. And so we've got to get past this. Cowardice. And we'll talk about that more apostasy, where we actually choose to turn away from God uh, because we're so afraid that God's not on our side. And then there's bondage. We just live in a bondage of uh, a feeling as if there's no way out. And so we're going to try to talk about these things. Have any of you ever felt any of those things? I have. I have. You just feel overwhelmed. 
And uh, so how do we deal with this? And how do we, how do we look at those things? Okay? So we're going to try tonight to kind of get to where we see clearly. You know, tonight before I, before I came down here, I got my glasses out. I've been out to eat. When I eat, everything goes flying, you know. And I looked and there was, there was noodle juice on my glasses from my, from my, uh, my dinner tonight. And I said, boy, I, got, I can't see clearly. I've got to get this taken care of. But I, had, I couldn't fix it until I knew there's something wrong. I thought it was my eyes. I didn't know what it was. And then I said, oh, it's just, it's just my glasses. I've got to get this cleaned up. Well, sometimes we have to look at our situation. We can't see life clearly. Let's, let's, let's examine it and see if we can find out what's wrong so that we can, we can fix it. Okay? Uh, in the middle of page 3, you see it's in, in a similar way. Sinful fear is a sickness that keeps a believer from experiencing the joy of the Lord. And we want to sort through those symptoms. That's what we're doing tonight. So let's go to this effect number one, distraction. Focusing on your concerns more than God's concerns. Do you ever get overwhelmed and you say, I have so many things to do, I am never going to get this done, and you're afraid you're not going to get this done? I'll admit, this afternoon I was thinking about, I've got to finish this lesson. And then I was thinking about, we've got to get these guys hired. And then I'm thinking, pastor's going to be gone, I've got to get ready to preach on Sunday. And I'm thinking about all these things and I'm going, oh, how am I going to get all this done? And then I remembered something that I'd read years ago. I, thought it was, I think it was Martin Luther. He said, we have so much to do today. I'm going to have to take an extra half hour to pray. And it's amazing what happens when you do that because you kind of shut out all those distractions. And then you're able to focus on what God wants done that day and things go much better. That's what we need to learn how to do when this distraction comes our way. You see that woman on the bottom of page three, she's juggling everything. I think women especially feel this thing. When they got children at home, they got a husband to take care of, they got work to do, they got to clean the house, they got to whatever, all this stuff, clubs they're in, different things, social things they're doing with other people, keeping them, their weight down and working on their strength and, oh man, all this stuff that they have to deal with. And, and it can be very distracting. Well, Zacharias, you remember who Zacharias was in the Bible? Anybody know who Zacharias was? Who was Zacharias? He was the father of John the Baptist, right. And he was a priest. And, uh, and, and before, um, before Jesus came, he, pr- he prophesied on the top of page 4, there's a verse, Luke chapter 1, verse 74 to 75, He said that the Messiah was coming to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The idea is to set the fearful things aside and focus on what God wants you to do. Now listen, not all of us are called to preach sermons, not all of us are called to raise children, not all of us are called to do whatever it is you do. We all have a calling in life, and we need to focus on what it is that God wants us to do. And then we can serve him when we know we're doing what God wants us to do without fear, because God's not going to bring us things in our lives that he doesn't want us to work our way through. When we get our eyes off the Savior on what it might, and sometimes we, we, we get called to do something, and we say, and if I go out, I was thinking of those guys yes, this last week, when they went out into the tenderloin to go, to go uh, and witness to some of these guys and, uh, and some of the women down in the Tenderloin. And they, they, were, they were pretty nervous about it. They didn't know what they were stepping into. And, and, uh, 
They're thinking about what it might cost them to go in there, what kind of trouble they might get into. And I said, focus on what God sent you to do. But what if they don't listen? It doesn't matter. God told you to go tell them the gospel. God told you to go tell them the truth. But what if they respond negatively? Well, then go on to somebody else. Who? Well, what? what? I said, don't worry about what they're going to do. You worry about what God called you to do. You go get the gospel out. And don't go out there in fear. And that's, they came back saying, you know, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, a lot of times that's what happens is we get distracted. We get thinking about, oh, it could happen. And this might happen. And, oh, that could happen. And so we don't do anything. Right? We're worried about how it's going to affect me. We're worried about how it's going to affect my family. We're worried about, especially if, you know, if we have kids. If God calls me to the mission field, what's going to happen to my kids? Well, they'll be happy there if that's where God wants them to be. I can tell you that. I've been there. And so we have to get to where we focus on what God wants instead of being distracted about what might happen to us if we do what God wants us to do. And, be, and you'll be pleased with what God does with your life. Now, if you want the most carefree life, according to the Apostle Paul, well, some of us can never do that. He talks about single life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, top of page 4. I want you to be free from concern. Wouldn't that be wonderful just to be totally free from concern? I wonder if single people would tell me that they're free from concern. I don't know. I think they're concerned, am I going to be single the rest of my life? Some of them are. Some of them are just happy with that. That's fine. Uh, people are, the Apostle Paul wants us to, the, the Lord wants us to serve free from concern. He doesn't want us to be worried and fretting and distracted all the time. He said, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But one who is married is concerned with the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. I read that quickly, but basically what it's saying is, if you're single and God called you to do something, then you're in a unique situation where you can just give your whole heart and your whole strength and all of your time to the Lord. If you're married, you can get distracted by the children, by your responsibilities to your mate, by your responsibilities to your other things. And... But God wants us to be still focused on what he's called us to do. So somehow, you've got to learn how to balance the responsibilities. And I, listen, I know single people are busy. I've, we've got some single people in our church that I can't believe all the things they do and how they get everything done. They're just going, going, going. And sometimes they need to stop, but they don't. And, but, they have some, but they're totally devoted, and that's fine. But we need to make sure we're doing what God wants us to do and not what Everybody else wants us to do. So the idea is to be single-minded. What happens when we get distracted? What happens when we get distracted? Letter A, your devotional life becomes lackluster. I'm so busy doing this. I'm so busy doing that. I'm so busy trying to keep up. And then it's time to read your Bible and pray. Well, I've got to fit this in. I was thinking again this morning. I said, I've got I to gotta finish getting this lesson ready. I've got I to gotta get ready for Sunday. I gotta get, and, you know, even preachers, though, our job is to study God's word and to, pr- and, and to pray and to prepare. 
We need to get in God's Word sometimes just for ourselves. I found myself this morning saying, I know I need to do this preparation. I know I need to get this done. I know pastor's going out of town. I'm going to have some other things i got to do. But I said, no, I'm going to stop. I have to get something for me. And I stopped and I, and I prayed and I said, Lord, show me something from your word that I need for me. And he did from Psalm 139 and some other places that I was reading. You know, we need to just set aside some of the cares and do like Martin Luther said. I got so much to do. I better spend an extra half hour in prayer. And get your mind focused on what it is that God wants for you. Get your thoughts under control. Stop worrying about all these things. I like what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4. You see that gentleman at the bottom of page 4. He's, he's praying. He's, he's taking his cares to the Lord. Be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4, 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. Who, want, who doesn't want that? Right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So when you're distracted and you are fearful, make sure you take some time to pray and take that fear to the Lord. Take that concern to the Lord. Let him deal with the what ifs. Let him deal with what if happens if I don't get this done the way it should be done. Take it to the Lord and let him help you. Page five. Whoever lacks possession of his thoughts never, open, uh, never offers up his soul to God. So, if you're distracted, you're going to have to take Make a conscious effort to just stop for a minute and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do in this situation? And get into God's word and pray and wait until you know. Instead of doing what we normally do. Well, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. And, and we run around like chickens with our heads cut off. And we usually don't end up getting done what we need to do anyway. Because we're in such a flurry. Or we do it poorly. And we hurt people in the way. We run over other people while we're trying to get it done. Instead of stopping and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We've got to understand, we, when, when we're getting distracted, I think we're dealing with a spiritual warfare. The devil wants us distracted. Satan wants to, wants to keep us from doing God's will. And so he's going to throw things at us all the time. I, I think about Job again. Man, you talk about distractions. A house falling on your kids. All of your possessions being stolen. Servants being killed. Your wife turning on you and saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Yeah, that's a lot of distractions. And yet Job, in all this, he sinned not, and he put his focus on God. Now, he didn't do it perfectly, like none of us will. But he did his best to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him him. 
and he could have some peace in the middle of all of his struggles because he could do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 kind of talks about this, this warfare that we're dealing with. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing that rises up, raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Instead of that speculation, what if I do this? This is going to go wrong. If I do this, if I don't do this, that's going to go wrong. No, wait a minute. Hold on a second. What does God want me to do here? And a calm comes and a peace comes because you've set aside those distractions. It's a battle you can win as you obey the Lord and keep up the good fight of faith. I like that song that's in our hymn book. We call it, the, the hymn book calls it the heavenly vision. We call it turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know that chorus? Sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think we had about three keys there, but that's okay. We sang it. All right, but the idea there is when you are distracted, stop. Make the conscious choice. I'm going to look to the Lord and get away from that crazy cycle that you're running through uh, in distraction. Well, your devotional life becomes lackluster when you're distracted, and you have trouble believing God's comforting promises. John Flavel says, our fears will render us unfit for prayer. They will also shake the credit of the promises. Now, there's sometimes you read your Bible and say, I know that's a promise, but does that really apply to me? That'll work for them, but I don't know if it'll work for me. You're, you're living in this distraction. You're, you're letting your fears take over instead of trusting God. Uh, I think of the Hebrew slaves there. They, went, uh, they were out there, and for all those years, 400 years, they're in slavery. They've got, they're in bondage. They went in kind of like kings, like Joseph's family, remember? And then there arose up a pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, and and then they got worried about the children of Israel, and they just made them all go into bondage and made them go to work. And, and, and uh, thousands and thousands of them were just constantly under a taskmaster who was beating them. And they were giving, given tasks that were impossible to com- complete and, uh, and just constantly overwhelmed. And, and Moses comes in and says, God says he's going to let you go. God's going to deliver you out of this bondage. And, and he brings his message in Exodus chapter 6, uh, in the middle of page, uh, in, in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 6, he says, um, God told Moses to say, therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from their bondage. But then you go down to verse 9, but the response of the children of Israel was, But they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. They were so concerned about their fears that when a great promise from God came, uh, they didn't even want to hear it. They were were focusing on their fears rather than the promise of God. 
Again, when you get to that place in your life when you are feeling like I am crippled in my Christian walk, I am unable to function as I should as a believer, you've got your eyes off the Lord. You've gotten your eyes off the promises. And you've got your eyes on your problems. And you need to stop and make the conscious choice to switch back to where you should be thinking. Bring your, cap, bring your thoughts into captivity. On page 6, we talk about David. Remember David, the shepherd boy, is called in out of the fields. Samuel says, says, kneel down here, son. God has told me you're going to be the next king. And he anoints him with oil, and he says, okay, now go back out to the fields. And then he ends up playing the harp for Saul, and he ends up becoming Saul's armor bearer, and, and things are kind of going his way. And, and he understands that God has called him to be the next king of Israel, but then, I mean, and even Saul acknowledges that. Uh, down in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 20, in the middle of the page, and I'm trying to move along here. Uh, Saul said to David, I know that you, surely will, you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. And then in 1 Samuel 26, later on, Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his palace. And in the next verse of the next chapter... The first verse of the next chapter, 1 Samuel 26, 25 is the last, is the last verse of the chapter. 27, 1 is the first verse of the next chapter. Immediately, David's afraid. David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Why? Because half the time Saul's saying you're going to be king, and the other half the time David's dodging javelins that are getting thrown at him. And David's, David's running away from Saul's armies, and he's... He's finally just said, I got, I've got too many problems. There's no way I'm going to ever become king. And he got to the place where even in the book of Psalms, where he, he is so focused on Saul chasing him around. And, and yes, Samuel said, I'm going to be king. Saul said, I'm going to be king. I believe in my heart God's called me to be king. But in, in Psalm 116, David writes, I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in verse 11, he said, I said in my alarm, all men are liars. He's focusing on his fear rather than the promises of God. And he said, everybody's been lying to me. There's no way this is going to happen. There's no way this is going to happen. And instead of believing the promise, he's just concluding that everybody's been lying to him all along. And he's choosing to live in fear. If David can do that, the great King David, the man after God's own heart, can feel that way. Do you think sometimes that might happen to us? All right, if it does, what do we do? We stop being distracted. We get focused back on what, what God has promised for us to do, what God has called us to do. We bring our thoughts into captivity, as Paul talked about uh, up in Second uh, Corinthians. Okay? Something else happens when you get distracted. You forget past victories. You forget the fact that God brought you through something else in the past. I saw uh, an advertisement or, or an invitation, I guess it would be, to the Fundamental Baptist Fellowship meeting that's in Indiana this year. I can't go because of the schedule. Pastor can't go because of the schedule. But I got a kick out of Dr. Bob III's going to be preaching a message there that I would love to hear. He says, you know, in history, the, the title had something to do with the fact that we can look back in history and see the hand of God, but we forget that he's sitting in the chair next to us. You see what I'm saying? 
we forget history. Or sometimes we forget history and then it makes him even less distant. More, more distant to us. Less real to us. We need to understand that God in the past has done some amazing things for us. Has he saved you from your sins? What greater thing could he do than that? He gave you life. What greater thing could he do than that? He's he, he brought some wonderful things into your life. Remember, focus on those blessings that you've had. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And God's not going to stop now because you're going through a hard time. Right? We forget past victories. Flavel says, our distracting fears cut us off from all these sweet reliefs when we need them the most. The relief of knowing that God got me through that before. And God got me through that before. And God got me through that before. I guess he'll get me through this. What a wonderful thing it is to see what God has done. Uh, in, over and all over in Israel's history, uh, God delivered his people from invading armies. He, he, he fed the children of Israel, a million of them, walking through the wilderness for 40 years. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. He brought water out of rocks. He brought quail, so much quail that they couldn't eat it all. He brought manna from heaven. He fed them angels' food. For 40 years. They didn't starve. They didn't thirst to death. They had clothes that never wore out. Boy, that would put Kmart out of business or Walmart out of business, wouldn't it? it ne- nothing ever wore out. And for 40 years, God's, God took good care of them. And then they get into other trouble and they forget all about that. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing? Top of page 7, Isaiah 51, verses 12 through 16 says, I, even I, this is God talking to the children of Israel. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who's made like grass? Again, this is distraction. I'm focusing on the people around me instead of the God who made them. Verse 13, that you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? And God says the exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon or the pit as the King James says. Nor will his bread be lacking, for I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth and to say to Zion, you are my people. God says he's going to set them free. They're not going to die in a dungeon. He's going to take care of them. And you know what? Even if we do die in a dungeon serving the Lord. I mean, we have examples in the scriptures of James getting his head cut off. We have the example of Peter and Paul and the troubles that they went. You study all the 12 apostles except for the Apostle John. Of course, the Apostle John lived to be old age after being boiled in oil. How wonderful was that? But they're in heaven today. So God has delivered them from all of their troubles, right? God takes care of us. God delivers us. We do not have to worry about our circumstances. Let's keep our focus where it needs to be. John Flavel says the reverential fear of God, that's that third kind of fear, that's the good kind of fear, is the greatest spur to duty and the best help in it. But the distracting fear of enemies will divert us from our duty. If we get our eyes off of the Lord and get distracted, we find ourselves crippled in the work of the Lord. 
So, what's one of the effects of sinful fear? Distraction. It gets our eyes off of God. It gets our eyes off of what God's called us to do. It gets, us, it gets our eyes off the mission and keeps us from serving as we should. We need to get past that by putting our eyes back where they need to be on the Lord. Second effect of sinful fear, and there's no way we're going to get through the third one tonight, but we're going to get through the second one here. The second effect is deception, justifying wrong actions because you can't see clearly. This is where we get the idea of the end justifies the means. Instead of living by a principle, we say, well, if I do this, I can kind of sneak my way around here and get it done anyway. And that's a problem. That's a problem. God can't honor that. Sinful fear deceives otherwise good and godly people into believing that God's presence and God's ways are not enough to rescue them from danger. In the days of Isaiah the prophet, Israel feared that God had deserted them, so they turned to idols for their safety while hypocritically claiming to believe in the one true God. In my mind, I was, I was looking, at, you know, I like to put pictures in these things. See the picture there, believe in the, with the emphasis on lie. The idea here is the children of Israel said, oh, we want to worship you, God, but you can see them almost kind of holding an idol behind their back. And whenever God's not looking, they're back there looking at the idol. And oh, but we, want to, we want to worship God, but, oh, but, but we don't want to let go of the idol. And, and I, was looking, I couldn't find a picture like that, but you understand the idea here. This is what the children of Israel were doing. This is Isaiah 57, verse 11. Of whom were you worried and fearful when you lied and did not remember me or give me thought? The children of Israel had gone into bondage. If you study the history of Israel, you see that over and over again, they kept turning to the idols of nations they had conquered. It blows me away. We just went in there and we conquered this nation. Let's worship their gods that couldn't protect them from us. I don't understand why we do this. But sometimes we do this. We allow ourselves to think, well, there, there, was, there were some good things about that. Let's, let's use that. The fear of King Abimelech, we've talked about this before, caused even one of the most righteous men in all the Bible, Abraham, to sin because he was afraid. His fear deceived him into thinking that a lie would get him out of his trouble. And uh, you see in Genesis chapter 20 where Abraham and his wife Sarah are going into the land of Gerar, which is a Philistine town, and, and Abimelech is the king, and, and Abraham says, I'm just little Abraham. He's a king. My wife's really good looking. Sarah must have been a looker. I think she's 90 years old in this story. But whatever it was. And, and he's worried about getting killed so that the king will take his wife. So he says, just tell him you're my sister. And then at least he won't kill me. He might take you, but he won't kill me. Because he'll just take, it's, you're my sister, you're not my wife. And, and he did that. And you see that. And the funny thing is, when you get to, let's say, page 8, uh, it's shameful. Here we got a pagan king rebuking a man of God. Genesis chapter 20, verse 8. So Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things to their hearing. And the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? 
And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done, the thing, done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, well, because I thought surely there's no fear of God in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. Because she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. There's a half truth, which is always a lie. And she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness that you will show me everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. And then, like father, like son, Isaac does the same thing to the same king later on in Genesis chapter 20. And we can, you've, read, you've heard that story over again. But here we have two men of God, patriarchs of Israel, fathers of the nation of Israel, Fathers through whom the Messiah came. God's chosen people. And they got fearful and they told a lie to a pagan king thinking that was going to get him out of the trouble. Instead it got him into more trouble. And that's what's going to happen to you and that's what's going to happen to me. If we let our fear deceive us into thinking we have to do wrong in order to get a chance to do what's right. It's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do what's right. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say that. There's truth in that. There really is. It's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do what's right. Just do right. Dr. Bob said, do right till the stars fall. And uh, they're not going to until God's done. Now, but Abraham and Isaac weren't the only ones. You know about Peter. Jesus has been arrested. Judas has come in and, uh, and they've arrested the Lord Jesus and they've taken him into Pilate's hall and they're, they're beating Jesus and they're, they're, they're mocking Jesus and they're trying Jesus and they're preparing Jesus for the cross. And all the disciples ran and fled. John followed along far behind. Peter followed along behind, but he found himself hanging out with those who were detained. Those were against the Lord. They were enemies of the Lord. And he says, I, I got, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid, so I better just fit in here. I did that. You've done that. I remember being a Christian in a public school in seventh grade, and all my family had gone off to a Christian school, and I was there at the public school by myself, and all my friends were all doing bad things, and I wanted to fit in with them. And I fell into doing some bad things I shouldn't have done. I'm, I'm ashamed of and I've repented of and God's forgiven me for it. But I, I can see this happening to me. I can see this happening to you. When everybody around you is doing wrong, rather than standing up and doing what's right, it's real easy to just kind of go along with it. And Peter did this. In verse 70, he denied the Lord. In verse 72, he said, I do not know the man Verse 74, he cursed and swore and said, I know not the man. Denied Jesus three times and then that rooster came out of the corner of the page and, and crowed, right? That's what happens. We fall ourselves, find ourselves falling into sin because of fear. Fear of man. And what happens is God is dishonored. When a believer is deceived by sin, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm on page 9 now. When a believer is deceived by sinful fear, unbelievers have even greater doubts about God's ability to care for his own. All the more reason for you and me to stand. 
stand up and believe in the Lord and set our fears aside and trust God completely to have the strength to serve Him and stay focused as we should be. Because when we can face our fears knowing that we're trusting in the Lord, He gives us the grace to be used of Him in His service. Flavel says this, through these falls and scandals when Christians fall into sin, religion is made vile and contemptible in the world's eyes. It brings much reproach upon God and His promises, as if His word were insufficient security in times of trouble. As if it were safer to sin than to trust in His promises. But is it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because sin constantly, always brings us down. God is dishonored when we allow fear to distract us. God is dishonored when we allow fear to um, deceive us into thinking that we can take things into our own hands. What else happens? Other believers are weakened. Somebody who's been watching you. I'm, I'm, I'm the big brother at my house. And my little brothers used to tell me, I used to see some of the things you did, and I didn't, what, what, why, why did you do that? And you need to know that even here in this room, there's somebody watching you. And if you stand for the Lord, they can be encouraged. If you fall into sin, you allow fear to distract you and get you to disobey God, then other people are going to be hurt. When a newer or weaker believer sees a respected believer fall into the deception of sinful fear, it discourages them, making their faith even weaker than it was before. And Flavel says, Satan and wicked people always use this to his purpose. Recently, we've heard of a, of a great evangelist, supposedly, who fell into sin. Robbie Zacharias, you've heard that name. And so many people have been discouraged because of that. That's the way it is. But you need to know, you may not be... A big name like that. But when you fall into sin and you allow sinful fear to deceive you into sin, other people notice and other people will be dragged down. So it's important to keep your focus where it should be. Letter C, our own conscience is weakened. You ever done something you knew was wrong? You, I know I shouldn't have done that. I got to get that right. How am I going to straighten that up? And you spend half the night trying to figure out how you're going to get right with everybody that you hurt in the process, Right? Our own conscience is wounded. See that guy there? He can't, he can't sleep. John Flavel says, Such flaws in integrity will keep us awake at night. Oh, the mischief caused by a faint and fearful spirit. Genesis 15.1 Had Abraham trusted the Lord, he wouldn't have gotten all that trouble with Abimelech. Had Abraham trusted the Lord, maybe Isaac hadn't gone through the trouble he went through. Right? Hmm. We don't know the long-term consequences of being distracted and deceived into sin because of our fear. Genesis 15.1, God had given him a promise. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. I will protect you. I will take care of you if you'll walk with me. Instead, he said, I'll take it and I'll deal with it myself. I can handle this. That sinful fear. And it will always bring you down. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, the things that cause fear, the things that cause trembling to you, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. This is the way to deal with this. 
Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God is bigger than your problems. Take them to him. Are you coming up here? I see the cane, so I know he's coming. So let's close with a word of prayer and we'll let Pastor come. Father, thank you for the things that we can learn as we really examine ourselves. Thank you for the time that Mr. Flavel did in making this study so in-depth. We pray that we will learn from it, that we will grow from it. Or may you be magnified in our eyes way bigger than all of our concerns. Help us to trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.